Today's podcast is presented by Podgo. Podgo is the easiest way for you to monetize your podcast. Providing podcasters with a flat rate for ad space so you always know how much you get when you include an ad from Podgo. Apply today to become a member and immediately be connected with advertisers that fit your audience. That's podgo.co at P-O-D-G-O dot C-O and be sure to add our podcast in the how did you hear about Podgo section of the application. This is the first time I'm going in this completely blind. I have no idea <laughs> what this episode is what about. What this episode is about. I'm kind of I excited. Ju- I just decided this morning before I started writing it. So there you go. Sometimes that's the way it is. <laughs> Very cool. How have I... you been since I last saw you? Like a few hours ago. Good. I went to a four-year-old's birthday party, and she was super cute and precious. But also, just watching her run around made me tired. Also, it's super hot today, so we were, like, outside at this park. Yeah. Um, This park that had a splash pad, which back in my day was just a hose. But this one has, like, fountains and stuff that kids can, like, run through, and it's really cute. Oh, that sounds fun. Yeah, today was, like, the perfect weather. And then there's a playground, so... Yeah, I, like, walked to the bakery and back, and I was like, this is too sweaty. I'm going to sit on my porch and eat my baked goods, and I was like, even this is too sweaty. And you know my porch faces north, so it's always in the shade, but even that was, like, not pleasant. Yeah, today was uh, pretty tough. And then, yeah, so we were sitting outside, and all these tiny children were playing and screaming, and so I came home and took a nap. So (laughs) Fair enough. Um. But it was very cute. There were cake pops. The cake pops were delicious. There was a unicorn pinata. <laughs> oh, no. You know. And then the party favors were like mini pinatas. That's cute. Yeah, it was adorable. It was a fun time. Very cute. The kid was also named Elizabeth. So Hey. Yeah, so, you know automatically she's got these like really big blue eyes and really pretty red hair oh she's so precious yeah very precious anyway how are you pretty good i uh have your swimsuit top if you're looking for it you left it at jeff's (laughs) in the proud tradition of getting together with all our friends someone has to leave something at the host's house (laughs) that's about right yeah. And and to complete the tradition, it has to be sent home with a different person. Like when Jeff left his baking pan at Jackie's and I took it home. Now you left your swim top at Jeff's and once again, I took it home. Maybe that's the pattern. Maybe <laughs> somebody leaves something at someone else's house and I end up taking it home and becoming responsible for it somehow. <laughs> I mean, usually I'm the one that's irresponsible. So. <laughs> I was so out of it when I left, dude. I was like, I don't even know. Your allergies were killing you. It it was so bad. I was like, man, I'm so sorry to be a wet blanket, but I just, it was like 1030 and I was like, I I need to go. You were falling apart. Yeah. Yeah, I did not blame you at all. I was like, I'm so sorry, guys. Because I know, like, our friends don't really get together very often because our schedules are always so busy, but I was just like, I need to go. Yeah. We didn't stay up crazy late. We were out of there by 1230, I think. Okay. Yeah, that was that was about when I thought um, we'd be taking off too. So, yeah, we heard about uh, Kelly's stage five clinger neighbor. Kelly, if you're listening to this episode, please get a restraining order or something before you become an episode of this podcast. 
Um, and we played that color game again. And yeah, then <laughs> we went home. I was like, I don't know how many hard seltzers I have had. It is time to drink some water. <laughs> I missed the stage five clinger neighbor talk. Oh my God. Yeah, I will catch you up later. It's it's okay. bananagrams. I'm very excited to hear it. <laughs> Although I'm sorry Kelly has to go through that. But oh also. Yeah. Oh, God. All right. You want to do this intro? Yeah. All right. Let's do it. <laughs> Ellie, and, and this, this is, is the Queers, the Queers for Fears podcast. podcast, the podcast where we talk about all the things that we've left behind that Ellie has collected to <laughs> give back to us. Just kidding. <laughs> the podcast- worst scavenger hunt. <laughs> <laughs> the podcast where two queer women talk about the things in life that scare them, whether they're based in reality or the paranormal. And I have no idea what we're talking about today, so Ellie's going to tell us. Today we are talking about hazing. This is a little bit of a mix of uh, real-life horror and a little bit of true crime, uh, because I'm going to be talking about some actual hazing incidents, and I will let you know, just a warning, some of these stories are going to be graphic, and a couple of them involve sexual violence, but I I will try and remember to, to mention them right before we get up to them, so you can skip ahead if you want. Yeah. Um, so I downloaded a really fascinating um, study by Alan Kirshner and Payne called College Student Hazing Experiences, Attitudes, and Perceptions, Implications for Prevention, which was published in the Journal of Student Affairs Research and Practices. Shout out to SciHub, because otherwise I would have had to pay like $100 for it. Anyway, uh, so what is hazing? So one of the things that I found in a lot of these studies, both uh, the one that I found on SciHub and other related ones and ones that they quoted is oftentimes people will report having been hazed. Like they will be like, yes, someone has done this thing to me that is like definitionally hazing, but like they won't recognize it as hazing. So according to the Stop Hazing Research Lab, quote, hazing is any activity expected of someone joining or participating in a group that humiliates, degrades, abuses, or endangers them, regardless of a person's willingness to participate. There are three components that define hazing. One, it occurs in a group context. Two, humiliating, degrading, or endangering behavior. Three, happens regardless of an individual's willingness to participate. While commonly associated with college fraternities, hazing happens in many different places. Incidents of hazing occur in many types of clubs, organizations, and teams, and in diverse settings, including middle and high schools, colleges, and universities, the military, and workplaces, end quote. And part of the reason this came to mind is because, like, there's a lot of, like, yelling and screaming and ass-kicky type stuff at Academy, and it really stressed me out until someone pointed out to me, like, this is basically just hazing. Like, you are never in a sorority or a fraternity or, like, a sport, you know, so you're not used to this. Like, the other guy that got hired at the same time as me, you know, he played, I want to say, college football. So he's like, yeah, I'm used to getting yelled and screamed at, you know, and being asked to do really physically taxing stuff just to kind of prove a point. And Mm -hmm. so he was kind of used to it, and, like, I was not. And that's really kind of what it is. Um, And it's something that's a little bit controversial, like – there are academies that do not do any of the yelling and screaming, and there are departments that do not appreciate the yelling and screaming and think that it doesn't really do anything to build morale, and there's kind of no point. And a lot of it is like, well, you know, you're going to be operating in a paramilitary structure, so you have to have paramilitary train. It's like, well, to what extent, even in the military, do you like need to, you know, humiliate and degrade people in order to make them into the people that we need them to be? Ding, ding, ding. 
Um, so there is a spectrum of hazing behaviors, and the most dangerous ones are the ones that happen the least often, but the most common and less dangerous ones are also less likely to be recognized as hazing. Mm-hmm. Um, so the Stop Hazing Research Lab has this spectrum um, of hazing behaviors, and as like recognizability goes down... Um, let me think about this. I <laughs> get this right. As recognizability goes down, danger also goes down, but frequency goes up, right? Okay. So the most common things that sometimes people are like, oh, yeah, that happened to me, but like, don't, they don't call it hazing are intimidation. So like social isolation, calling them demeaning names, deception, enforced periods of silence, expe- expecting you to have certain items on your person at all times. Um, next is harassment, verbal abuse, threats or implied threats, sleep deprivation, being forced to do humiliating or degrading things. And then at the top, the most dangerous and sensational and recognizable forms of hazing, but also that happen less frequently, but when they do, it can be deadly, is violence. So physical or sexual assault, um, forcing people to consume alcohol, drugs or water or something gross, and kidnapping. So I was looking up, like, what is the history of hazing? When did this start? Uh, And there's an instructor at Oregon State University named Ruth Sterner. And as part of her, it looks like it was part of her Master's of Ed uh, coursework, um, she wrote about the history of hazing, which she says dates back to Plato's Academy, the 4th century BCE, which included physical abuse, pranks, and being made to do embarrassing stuff to kind of earn your place as a student and to reinforce the superiority of upperclassmen. And then in the Middle Ages and colonial periods, it was common for underclassmen at uh, universities to essentially be servants to upperclassmen and to have to take on unpleasant tasks. Grad students and prospective instructors were instructors were also hazed. Allegedly, this was partly to dissuade charlatans from trying to pass themselves off as professors. You couldn't receive a full teaching license until you'd been through all of this. In the U.S., some colleges even had laws stipulating this kind of, like, master-servant, upperclassman, underclassman role. Although for the first time, um, a member of the Harvard class of 1684 was punished for excessively hazing underclassmen. Like, he was beating these kids up and stuff. But then he was like, oh, I'm really sorry I learned my lesson. And so they unexpelled him, like, two months later. So (laughs) we're going to (laughs) see. Apparently not a lot of consequences for this kind of stuff. The first he literary was a great he was a great swimmer. <laughs> the first literary societies and fraternities also played some pranks on one another, and in one case, uh, I think it was some Harvard students played a prank on Tsar Alexander I of Russia. They wrote to him saying that Harvard wanted to give him an honorary degree, and so he sent them a bunch of gifts, and the university intercepted them and was like, "You fucking assholes! You can't fucking do this." Um, but formalized hazing and initiation rituals in extracurricular groups really took hold as more fraternities came into play and had to mm-hmm. compete for members. According to Sterner, quote, as more and more social fraternities came into existence and began to compete with one another for students' loyalty, the best way to compel students to join and start new chapters was through the creation of rituals and myths of membership. The storied, often factious history of these rites of passages also gave students a distorted romantic view of the trials and suffering they faced in order to join the Brotherhood, end quote. Mm-hmm. And that was something that I kind of heard, that I kind of encountered. Uh, there was a coworker of mine who's a, a veteran who was, like, really putting the fear out of me about Academy. And I came home, and I was a total mess. And Jack was like, I mean, yeah, he went through it, and it was hard. So, of course, he has to make it sound to you like it's going to be really hard, because otherwise, what's mm-hmm. the point of him having gone through it and, like, being a badass on the other side of it if it wasn't, you know, oh, the hardest fucking thing ever? Yeah, exactly. Um, John Hetchinger's True Gentleman, The Broken Pledge of America's Fraternities also credits the return of Civil War veterans to undergraduate institutions and introducing military-style hazing hazing for this rise in hazing harshness near the end of the 19th century. The first highly publicized fraternity-related hazing death was a guy named Mortimer Mortimer Leggett, uh, who was pledging 
uh, Kappa Alpha, uh, the Kappa Alpha Society um, at Cornell University. And he was blindfolded and left in the dark to get his bearings. Um, and he fell into a gorge and died. Oh, my gosh. That was in 1873. That's like a surprisingly, that's like a not uncommon one. Um, yeah. Similarly, in 1899, same society, same univ- same chapter, um, eight pledges were ordered off a train and instructed in the dark and instructed to hike back to Cornell, and one fell into a canal and drowned. Hazing injuries and deaths became more common over the early 20th century, and fraternities just barely managed to survive calls for an end to the Greek system, largely thanks to influential alumni who had also been in the fraternities and stuff and kind of lobbied for these societies to continue to exist. Um, the Great Depression, World War II were tough times for fraternities. Kind of some of this heat came off because people weren't in college as much. And in World War II, obviously, all these able-bodied dudes are overseas fighting in the war. Right. But after World War II, there was an, uh, once again, there was an influx of veterans to fraternities. Um, according to Sterner, quote, Although veterans were often unwilling to tolerate being hazed by younger students, they were more than willing to introduce toned-down versions of military hazing into fraternity initiations. Veterans were eager to Veterans were eager to rekindle the brotherhood and camaraderie they had experienced in the military and joined fraternities in record numbers. Returning veterans added excessive physical exercise and calisthenics to the long list of hazing activities new pledges were expected to complete. End quote. And we'll see that in the ensuing decades that got a lot of people killed. You said eagle, and I just pictured Sam the eagle with, like, other Muppets, like, drinking at a fraternity house. Do a keg stand. Run a lap naked. Yeah. <laughs> no. In 1959, uh, USC Kappa Sigma pledge Richard Swanson choked to death after being forced to eat a quarter pound of raw liver. Uh, apparently, when EMS workers arrived on the scene, they, like, were not... And this is another trend that you see and that I really don't... It really upsets me. They were... It seems like they were kind of too busy saving their own asses to be forthright with EMS workers and yep. tell them what was going on. Uh-huh. And so he didn't survive. And the, there was a big uproar because the EMS workers on scene implied, like, if these guys had cooperated with us and told us what had happened and what had led to him choking and what he was choking on, we might have been able to save him. So once again, there's a little bit of a push to end Greek life, but then the Vietnam War happens and Greek membership declines and hazing deaths decline because more university students are politically conscious, they're anti-war, and they understandably associate these exclusive clubs of mostly white men with the establishment, and so they become less popular. Mm-hmm. However, after the war, alcohol consumption among college students and the general population went up and booze-fueled hazing and injuries and deaths for, uh, at fraternities skyrocketed once again. Yeah, because they lowered the drinking age, too. Yeah, this was another thing. Is like, during that time, the drinking age was different from state to state for a long Mm -hmm. time. It was 18 in some states and 21 Mm -hmm. in others. Um, And then, I forget exactly how it worked. I I think the federal government was, like, going to withhold federal highway funding from states that didn't raise the drinking age to 21. Um, So then everybody raised their drinking age to 21, and then fraternities became one of the few ways that underage drinkers without a fake could get access to alcohol. So that made them, that made fraternities more popular again. Okay. In 1974, a ZBT pledge at Monmouth University, which was very confusing because it said Monmouth College in the article because that's what it used to be called, but this was, this was the one in New Jersey. Um, And we have, we have that fraternity at monmouth too. yeah yeah this was so. a this was at monmouth university in new jersey um he died when zbt forced their pledges to dig their own graves on the beach and a mound of sand collapsed on this guy and he suffocated oh my god yeah 
1999 oh, study of NCAA athletes found that 79% participated in hazing. Two-thirds of athletes were hazed in a way that was abusive or humiliating. Half experienced hazing with high-risk drinking, and one-fifth experienced hazing activities that were dangerous, unacceptable, and potentially illegal, such as being kidnapped, harassing others, or being forced to destroy property. A 2008 study of more than 11,000 students on 53 U.S. college campuses found that 55% of those involved in campus organizations had experienced hazing, and the groups that experienced it most frequently were varsity athletes at 74%, mm -hmm. uh, Greeks at 73%, uh, club sport athletes 64%, and 56% of members of performing arts organizations and about half of people participating in service organizations in this study um, had experienced hazing. So this fascinating study that I read, um, thanks, SciHub, pointed to some interesting trends in modern hazing. Um, they give kind of a quick rundown of recent hazing scholarship. Quote, some scholars contend the persistence of hazing is largely attributable to perceived positive outcomes, such as maintaining group hierarchy, cultivating commitment, and creating group cohesion, end quote. However, a lot of studies that the authors reviewed show that hazing is bad for group cohesion and interpersonal relationships. Some studies show that almost half of college students have already been hazed by the time they arrive on campus, although often, as I said, students do not label what they've been through as hazing, which goes back to this hazing kind of recognition versus severity spectrum. There are some gender differences in hazing the researchers found. Um, men and women, and of course that was the only gender divide that they recognized in this study, men and women were both likely to be made to participate in drinking games, be yelled or screamed at by um, fellow members of their organizations, and be forced to serve as personal servants to senior members. However, women were more likely than men to be forced to maintain and cut off particular friendships, and men were more likely to be given physical tasks such as enduring harsh weather conditions. Um, some studies, this I thought was really interesting. Some studies of hazing have shown that black Greek life hazing rituals are more likely to be physically violent, perhaps originally as part of an effort to make pledges prove that they could take a beating for their brothers or their sisters if white supremacists tried to mess with them for being black in college, right? Mm -hmm. The idea is like, people might try to fuck with us, like they don't want to see black men succeeding. Mm -hmm. um, you know, like, can, can you take this? Can, like, can you take a beating if you have to do this for one of us? Like, can you stand up to people? Um, but there's also a concern in some of these studies that it's tied to internalized racism and racist myths about how black people are more violent or black people mm -hmm. have a higher pain tolerance. I'm also personally curious about what color their researchers are. Like, I'm curious what metrics led them to conclude that black Greek life hazing rituals are more violent. Because it sounds like it could be kind of a tone deaf feedback loop. Like, yeah, right. Oh, these these poor black kids have been fed all these myths about how they're more violent. And now they're more violent. And I'm like, are they more violent? Or is that just kind of what you wanted to see? Because that's kind of what you expected. Yeah, exactly. Um, most of the students in the Alan Kirshner pain study agree that there is no good reason to haze someone, that it is not an effective way to create bonding. Like there were all these questions about like, you know, strongly agree, like mm -hmm. mostly agree, agree more than disagree. And then the reverse. And it was all these statements about hazing. Like, um, there's no good reason to haze someone. It's not an effective way to create bonding. Um, hazing is a problem because it can cause physical harm. Hazing is a problem because it can cause emotional harm. Um, and I don't need to be hazed to feel like I'm part of a group. And these students overwhelmingly agreed um, for those last three, physical and emotional harm, and that they don't need to be hazed to feel like they're part of a group. Over 80% of respondents agreed with those statements. Mm -hmm. um, in addition, 73% of them reported that they were aware of the hazing that the groups that they were in participated in ahead of time. But weirdly, students were most ambivalent about the statement hazing is a problem on this campus. It was almost exactly a 50-50 split 
very slightly in favor of disagree. Like something like 49.7% of them agreed that hazing is a problem on their campus and the rest disagreed, which I thought was interesting because they agreed with all these statements about like, I don't need to be hazed. There's no good reason to be hazed. Like hazing is bad. Um, but they were like, but hazing's not a problem here. That's also sort of a weirdly worded statement because to what degree is it a problem? Yeah. Like you could you could have said hazing occurs on my campus. Mm-hmm. Um hazing occurs to X percent of people on this campus mm-hmm. instead of a problem because that's sort of sub subjective that is a little vague like how do you define problem is it pervasiveness is it severity Mm -hmm. you know like are people getting hurt and dying or is it happening a lot you know is it accepted are people like stressed out about it do they like kind of expect it and muddle through it yeah that's Mm -hmm. a good point um in addition although 86 percent of respondents agreed that it can be hazing even if you agree to participate when asked with when those who were hazed asked if they reported it or not 76% of those who uh, were hazed and didn't report it said that it was because they agreed to participate. So that was another interesting cognitive split is like, they overwhelmingly agree that even if you agree to participate in it, it's still hazing. But then it's like, okay, why didn't you report that you were hazed? It's like, well, because I agree to it. So I don't Mm -hmm. know what that split is. And it also makes me wonder, like, who, like, who is this for? Like, it seems like overwhelmingly these students, like, don't think that hazing is necessary. Like, they didn't like it, but they didn't feel like they could report it. So it's like, who is kind of keeping these traditions going? Like, who, who is getting something out of this? Mm-hmm. Um, Hank Neuer, who's kind of a, like an anti-hazing activist, he's written a book on it. He's a professor emeritus at Franklin College, and he maintains an unofficial clearinghouse of university hazing, hazing deaths in the U.S. dating back to the 19th century. And I skimmed through all of them. In fact, I think the only years in like the 20th century that he could find the 20th and 21st centuries where he didn't find a single hazing death were 1952, 1958 and 2020. The most common stories seem to be alcohol overdose, um, Mm -hmm. alcohol fueled falls, crashes or drownings, Uh um, forced overexertion. Like some, one guy died because he was forced to work out like in, I forget, like a snowsuit or something on a hot day, something like that. One guy was forced to work out in a steam room with the steam going. Uh Um, Another common one is car crashes from sleep deprivation. Um, That seemed to be, I think the three that I read about were all women, actually. They were forced to like do this sleep deprivation stuff and then they had to get behind the wheel for some reason or another. Um, Those also included a a couple of bystander deaths, people who were hit by sleep deprived pledges. Mm-hmm. Um, and a few really s- tragic suicides following hazing. Um, wow. And there was even one case of a guy who had been hazed, like, on a football team or something. Like, someone mm-hmm. had put a jock strap on his face. And, like, years later, he went back and murdered the guy as revenge. That was a wild one. Oh, my God. And then there are some much more chilling ones. And these are the ones that are kind of graphic. So, skip ahead actually almost all the way to the end of the episode because these were the ones that really caught my attention um great hit me i'm i'm ready that's (laughs) let's do it this one was i remember when this happened or at least i remember hearing a story similar to this for the first time in 2003 walter dean jennings uh sayup kai pledge at suny plattsburgh died of hyponatremia 
um, which is when there's so little sodium in your blood that you die and like your brain swells up and everything. Did he drink too much water? Yep. He was forced to chug water over the course of 10 days. Like he would be throwing up water. They would put a funnel in his throat. Like he was forced to drink so much water that his body eventually shut down because like he didn't have enough electrolytes. Um, People do die of hyponatremia sometimes. Usually it's someone, someone like runs a marathon and then chugs too much water. You know, like they've sweated out all their electrolytes and then they don't replace them. Mm -hmm. Um, In 2012, Florida A&M drum major Robert Champion endured a hazing ritual involving running from the front to the back of the band bus while everyone else beat him. And this was like something that apparently a lot of people did. And if you wanted to move up in the organization, like you, you had to go through it. But he was beaten really, really severely. Um, So, right, you're supposed to run from the front to the back of the bus. And once you get to the back of the bus, it stops. But Robert Champion, while he was trying to move through the bus, a female classmate was holding him, like, by his by his collar or something to, like, slow him down moving through the bus so people had more time to beat him up. Um, at one point, he collapsed onto a bus seat, and another band member, like, you know, put his weight on the two seats, like, the seat in front of him and the back of his seat, and, like, jumped up and down on him multiple times. Um... After the beating, he complained of trouble breathing and said that he couldn't see, although witnesses said that his eyes were wide open. Um, finally, someone called 911, and they started to do CPR when they realized he didn't have a pulse, but it was too late. Um, Michael Dung, a Pi Delta Psi pledge at Baruch College, died under similar st- circumstances of a traumatic brain injury in 2013. His fellow frat members were like, you know, he was like running this gauntlet or whatever the hell, and you know, everybody's hitting him, and he was weighing, wearing like a weighted backpack, and he apparently fell and hit his head. Uh, and his fellow frat members wasted almost two hours Googling his symptoms and hiding all of the drugs and frat paraphernalia before getting him to the hospital, so he didn't make it. Yep. Died of a traumatic brain injury. Um... Timothy Piazza, this is a really, this is one of the first search results that comes up if you Google, like, hazing deaths. He was a Beta Theta Pi pledge at Penn State, and he was forced to drink to excess, then fell several times, resulting in a TBI and a lacerated spleen. Um, Once again, his fellow frat members uh, wasted their time cleaning up the evidence of the excessive drinking, and nobody called for help for him for almost 12 hours. That was in 2017. 12 hours? 12 hours, yeah. It was like some big party where a bunch of people were being hazed, and I don't know, just like they weren't watching him, they weren't paying attention to him. They realize something is wrong, they start trying to clean up the evidence, and by the time they got him to the hospital, it was way, way, way too late. I mean, that's... Both of these parts are scary, but that part of the cover-up is scarier. Right? The callousness? Like, you're supposed to be going through this ritual to be, like, part of the group, and they can literally murder you, and they will save their own asses first. Because the reality is, yes, you're 20, yes, you're 18, you're in the eyes of the law, you're considered an adult, but your brain still isn't fully developed. So you're going to just cover your own fucking ass. Mm -hmm. Especially when there's a group mentality of, oh shit, we need to like have a pact right now about yada yada, Mm -hmm. about whatever happened. And it's, it's, ugh, it's disgusting. Yeah. It's disgusting. I'm not giving them a pass for doing this i'm saying that like the psychology behind doing something fucking stupid like that yeah as a group and then being like oh shit well because they knew it was wrong right Mm -hmm, so mm -hmm. they don't have an excuse like anyway i also researched a few non-fraternity related hazing deaths because i was like i feel like i've definitely heard about like professional and military hazing 
Um, and there were some really shocking examples. In 1984, University of Puerto Rico, Mayaguez, Razzi recruit Arnaldo, Merca- Arnaldo Mercado Perez died of pneumonia, kidney failure, and dehydration after five days in the ICU. Um, he was also covered in bruises, scrapes, and burns. What happened is that his fellow Razzi dudes um, made the new guys do a 20-mile forced march, and they also like beat the Christ out of them the whole way. Um, and this was over the course of like December 26th through like December 30th or 31st of 1983. So it's like the dead of winter. They're doing this forced march while being beaten the entire time. And then, yeah, he ends up in the ICU. And after five days, his body just gave up. Well, the other, uh, the second part to the terrifying cover up part is that these universities or organizations often don't hold these students accountable. Um, and then they often, moving forward, don't change anything to prevent hazing. Right. Sometimes the chapter will get closed down, but sometimes yes. it'll open back up, or sometimes, like, the main organization will just sever its relationship with that chapter. Mm-hmm. But, yeah. But not often, especially if it is a historic chapter, like if it's the alpha chapter of an organization mm-hmm. at a particular mm-hmm. university, they don't want to shut it down. Also, they'll provide training about, like, why hazing is unsafe and this and that and the other thing. But it's like you – in college, you think you're invincible, right? You Mm -hmm. still don't don't know, and you don't take it seriously. So it's like, okay, how do we – I also was looking up, I was like, because I wanted to include at the end of this episode, like, what to do if you've been a victim of hazing and there's not – like, there's not, like, a national clearinghouse. Yeah. Like, there is, you know, like, there's, I mean, not to say that these resources, like, s- solve things or, like, necessarily make anything better for everyone, but, like, at least with domestic abuse or sexual assault, like, there's RAIN, like, there's national mm-hmm. organizations, like, des- like dedicated to getting you through this or at least giving you someone to talk to. And when I looked this up for hazing, like, at least professionally, there's, like, no, right, like individual universities will often have like a a hotline you can call or an office Mm -hmm. you can email. I even found one website that's like a, like a hazing prevention network. And what it does is you call and you leave a voicemail with that, with them. And then they email a text of your voicemail to like the president of the chapter of the frat or sorority where it happened. But like, they don't like counsel you or anything. And it's just for like (sighs) university students who are hazed. Yeah. It's also kind of like, Hmm. I feel that there's also a big victim blaming aspect to hazing uh, deaths and injuries and such because people have the attitude of like, well, this person knew what they were signing up for. You know, this person knew that there was a risk of hazing involved. And it's like, well, no, you know, if 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 they thought the hazing was going to be bad enough that they would die or be permanently injured somehow, they probably wouldn't have signed up for the organization. Mm-hmm. Like, hello. But yeah. again, it's like an inv- invincibility thing. Like, even if you yeah. know that sometimes it gets out of hand, like you, you don't think you're going to be the person who dies, especially when you're 20. Also, you know? when I was 20 years old, I didn't know that you could drink so much water that you would die. Yeah, me neither. I didn't know that. Like, Water's good for you, right? That's all yeah, I knew. exactly. I was like, okay. It wasn't until I heard about one of these, like, water hazing deaths or... I think I heard... Mm-hmm. I remember hearing one time about, like, a woman who participated in a water drinking contest at a bar or something, and then she, like, died. 
you know, yeah, it wasn't until I heard about like someone like competitively or in a hazing ritual, like drinking so much water that like it had to, it happened to someone else before I even knew that that was a possibility. There was a, um, radio contest that I heard about on one of my favorite podcasts. Let's go to court. There's a radio contest and it was sort of termed like holding your Wii for a Wii. No. And the gist of it was you were given a certain amount of water and you had to hold it. And if you held it for the longest before you went to the bathroom, you would win a Wii gaming system. And this woman was trying to win this for her kids. And the radio station was like, wow, this is taking too long. So we need to speed things up. So they gave them more and more water until finally, yeah, she um, she won and uh, got home and passed away because of I can't even remember maybe maybe too much water. Um, yeah, and then the ra- yeah, and then the radio station like didn't really issue an apology. It just sort of uh, fired these DJs responsible for the contest and just like swept it under the rug, and it was like. Oh my god. So yeah, that's that's a yikes moment if I've ever heard it. Yeah. Anyway, the military also obviously, I mean, we've we've heard in this history about how like Civil War veterans and World War II veterans brought some military hazing traditions mm-hmm. back to the college universities. I mean, we know that some figures point to up to 40% of women service members experience sexual assault while they're in the military, Um, I suppose. And that's the only ones that report it. Yeah, exactly. You know, I'm sure there are, I'm sure that number is low. That number seems way too low to me, unfortunately. Yeah. I also read about um, a hazing death. This uh, guy, Staff Sergeant Logan Melger, died while he was deployed in Bali in June 2017. Um, and this one for, for most of these, what a, what a place to be deployed though. Sorry, I know, go on. I know this could have gone, <laughs> this could have gone really well for everyone involved, but they had to be fuckheads. Um, yep. this was from military.com. Most of these I got from local and national news sources, like, mm-hmm. um, the New York times, UPI, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, according to the military.com article, quote, Marine Raider Staff Sergeant Kevin Maxwell told authorities that he, Marine Gunnery Sergeant Mario Madero Rodriguez, and two SEALs, Chief Special Warfare Operator Anthony Dodolph and Chief Special Warfare Operator Adam Matthews, planned to break into Melgar's bedroom with a sledgehammer at about 5 a.m. after a night of heavy drinking. Um, and here's the uh, content warning for the next two are going to involve sexual assault. The four planned to choke Melgar into unconsciousness, tie him up, and have a Molly and... S- or sorry, not Bali, Molly... <laughs> I screwed this. I screwed that part up. At the, I know it's Molly because I uh, copied and pasted that part and then I retyped it as Bali elsewhere. The four planned to choke Melger into unconsciousness, tie him up, and have a Molly and security guard sexually assault him while a British man videotaped the assault on a cell phone, Maxwell said in the statement. Oh Marine Corps. Yeah. Marine Corps Times reported that Dodolph and the others disliked Melger and felt he had slighted them, seeking to embarrass him through hazing. But when Dodolph bound Melger with duct tape and put him in a chokehold, he accidentally strangled him to death. End quote. And what happened to those people? Sergeant Mario Madero Rodriguez was convicted of involuntary manslaughter and some other charges. Uh, Conspiracy to commit assault and battery, conspiracy to obstruct justice, hazing, and making false official statements. Mm -hmm. Um, Found not guilty of felony murder, not guilty of burglary, guilty of housebreaking. 
Uh, so he was the last of the four cases. So let me see. Maxwell pleaded guilty to the charges that he was sent and he was sentenced to four years in prison. Um, and it doesn't say what happened to the two Navy SEALs. Um, oh, Dodolph pleaded, it does. Dodolph pleaded guilty to involuntary manslaughter, obstruction, and hazing, uh, was sentenced to 10 years of confinement and an involuntary discharge. Uh, Matthews also pleaded guilty uh, to the charges that he was brought up on, and he was sentenced to one year in prison. He didn't even get a dishonorable discharge. Involuntary discharge, right? Like, come on. Fuck off. Uh, that was- if, if, that doesn't, if that doesn't fucking qualify as a dishonorable discharge, I don't know what I know. the hell does. I know. I'm sure that was part of the plea bargain, because I, I can't imagine otherwise not giving him a dishonorable discharge. But that one, I mean, it makes me mad for so many reasons, but also, like, it's just such a, I don't know, just kind of the, and I don't use this term lightly because it's kind of got some conceptual creep going on, but just kind of the broad cultural gaslighting of, like, oh, well, but what were you wearing? Like, obviously, this Mm -hmm. was, like, you being too sexy because, you know, this person wanted sex. And it's like, no, literally, men will do this to each other, like, to take someone down a peg. If, Mm -hmm. like they said we wanted to do this to this guy because we didn't like him and we felt that he had slighted us and we wanted to embarrass him. Like it's just another friendly remembly that sexual assault is a tool of power and it's meant to like humiliate and degrade. It's, it's not sexual. Yeah. Um, also in 2017, three CBP officers at Newark Liberty airport were arrested for hazing new officers with what they called the rape table. Um, Two of them would hold you down, like, bend you over this table and hold you down, and the other would, like, grind on you or, like, pretend to be fucking you from behind. So, yeah. That's awful. Hate that. And also in 2017, five firefighters in Westfield, Texas, were fired after waterboarding a rookie using the fire engine and posting it on Snapchat. Are you fucking kidding me? I'm not fucking kidding you. Is that person okay? Yeah, he's okay. He's all right, but it is fucking dangerous. They, uh, what do they do? They restrained him on a backboard, and yeah, the article says doused him with water from a fire engine. So they literally, you like, you used the company equipment. You did this like with your apparatus in your firehouse, and you posted it on Snapchat. Like, what did you think was going to happen, bro? Yeah, they also poured mustard, flour, chocolate, ice. Like, they just dumped a bunch of stuff on him. Um, in, in the video, one dude sa- one guy says, dude, you're crying. You want to quit? Just say it. And then another one in the background says, hey, y'all, don't be putting this shit on social media. <laughs> and then they fucking did. Stupid. They fucked around and found they out. fucked around and found out. Yeah, they're part-time firefighters. <laughs> uh, they all got fired. And a sixth firefighter, a, volu- uh, a volunteer firefighter, was suspended indefinitely. Yeah, was unhur- the rookie was unhurt and did not want to press charges. Or he did not want to file a complaint with authorities, apparently. So, yeah. Hazing is well, bad. Don't fucking do it. Oh, man. That would be such a hard position to be in. Because it's like, I'm still here. I got five of these people fired. Even though it was their own volition that they yeah. got fired. Because they did this stupid shit. But then you don't want to look like the snitch. Right, like you don't want to look like you're causing more trouble for them from for them yeah. than they already brought upon themselves. Yeah, exactly, and you don't want to be that that guy, quote unquote. But also, like that's shitty, and you should have more. Yeah, there was a there was another one in 2015. Content warning again for sexual assault. Briefly, 
Um, Ellis County, Texas, five volleys were charged with sexually assaulting a rookie with a sausage as part of a quote unquote right of initiation, according to the DA. Um, Another firefighter who filmed it was charged and the two fire chiefs who tried to cover it up were also charged. Um, Yeah. As part of the plea deal, uh, one of the firefighters who pleaded guilty received a sentence of two years of probation and the charges were dropped against everybody else. Um, The victim agreed to an interview with the Dallas Morning News and he said that he left his job there shortly thereafter, but still is pursuing a career in firefighting. All right. Well, that's, yeah, it's, the military ones are interesting because literally the backbone of their basic training and what they do is to break everyone so that they, as a group, have this traumatic experience so that they bond closer together. Yeah. And And it's like... Hmm. I went back for day one of Academy because they kind of do this thing where like they have people from the previous class come back and, you know, like encourage the new people and kind of be the good cop to the bad cops that the instructors are being for that day. And, you know, like they're yelling and screaming at these people to do at these at these candidates to do stuff. And you can kind of help them and be like, okay, here's what they actually want. And I mean, it's it's you know, it's nothing compared to like these people who have died or been sexually assaulted. But I, I did tell those, I did tell the probies on day one, I was like, look, half of, half of the yelling and screaming and paramilitary stuff is like to get you guys to stick together, right? You guys have to get through this together. Um, like mm-hmm. the sooner you learn that and the sooner you stick together, like kind of the sooner you, you, you give them what they want and the easier it'll be to get through this. I don't think I was involved in any hazing incidences. I was not part of Greek life on campus and... There is this weird, I don't want to put this because I know we have listeners that were involved in fraternities and sororities. There is this sort of really weird thing of like secrecy with these societies sometimes. And it's like, if you ask them outright if they were hazed or if they felt like they were part of hazing quote unquote rituals or whatever, They'll still say no, even if they know that, like, they endured some, like, shitty, quote-unquote, tradition. Mm -hmm, mm Mm-hmm. And it's to, like, protect. And it's, like, years later. And it's, like, you're 30. Like, that happened to you when you were 18 or 19 years old. Like, what? Yeah, you don't owe anybody who did this to you, like, anything. You never did. You sure don't now. Exactly. Like, what are they? What? I don't know. It's baffling to me how how much is covered up in those uh, in those groups of people and how much even still after 10, 20 years after the fact, people are still trying to protect their quote unquote brothers and sisters that did this terrible shit to them. It's like, what the fuck? Anyway, I think also there's a little bit of right that victim blaming thing. It's like, well, yeah. shit, I would feel like a moron if I admitted that I had been, that yeah. I had let myself be hazed and continued to associate with these people. Yeah. You know, so there's a part of you that kind of wants to be like, yeah, that's not really what happened to me, though. It's. Yeah, it's sad that people in our society have those viewpoints of like, well, you should have known better. Or you shouldn't have been wearing that or you should have, you know whatever and it's like it's still not their fault yeah it's still not the victim's fault it's never the victim's fault 
Um, I also, I think it's great that these universities and places have sort of this hotline and this outlet to report hazing, but I would feel really scared to report, <sighs> report the incident to the people in charge of the place where the incident occurred. Does that make sense? Yeah, exactly. Especially since like there is, whether, you know, whether the person who is thinking of reporting it knows it or not, like, especially since there are so, there are so many like powerful alumni who were in these organizations mm-hmm. who can wield their influence to like prevent any systemic change from happening. Right. Yeah, like Mm -hmm. in the study that I was reading, I think it was something like only six, less than 6% of people who were hazed, like reported it to someone within the university. Yeah, I wouldn't, I would say this is dumb. They're not going to do anything because they have the interest of the university at heart. They're not going to want to take away this society or this organization or this sport or whatever. Mm -hmm. Like, it's nothing's going to come of it. It's just going to make life worse if people find out that I like told yeah it's gonna make waves somebody. at best everybody is gonna be like you know hauled in and slapped on the wrist because of me and they're gonna be mad but they're not gonna have their power to do this taken away at all i'm just gonna exactly. i'm just gonna stick out like a sore thumb exactly so i'm gonna be a victim for the rest of my four years here mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. it's not worth it yeah it's not worth it anyway i wish that we did have a national phone number or resource to put at the end of this episode but um we do not this time If you're someone that's thinking about starting an organization, this might be a great opportunity for you to do that and a helpful, safe place for people that go through this stuff, this mm-hmm. bullshit stuff. Um, Ellie, you want to tell them where to find us on the internet and then I'll plug the Patreon? Absolutely. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, or Patreon, Queers for Fears Podcast. You can find us on Twitter at Queers Fears Pod. That's me. We also have a Gmail Gmail account, podcastqueersforfears at gmail.com. And we have a website, queersforfears.com. Hell yeah. Check out that website, Hell please. Yeah. Notice my coding skills from when I had a MySpace back in the day. <laughs> and now I can do WordPress all by my bad self. Thanks, Tom. Uh, <laughs> Thanks, Tom. I'm literally wearing a white t-shirt and giving the thumbs up right now. So, hello. <laughs> um, yeah, if you want to support us, there are a few ways you can do that. You can share, follow, subscribe uh, our content on social media and wherever you get your podcast so that you never miss an episode. That is free 99. You can also leave an iTunes review um, on iTunes. That is the best way to spread the word for some reason i have no idea how it works alas i'm just a lowly myspace coder so i don't (laughs) know how the the apple itunes thing works um but it helps so if you could give us a five-star review and some kind words that would be great that is also free 99 and if you're walking around going wow i just have too many dollar dollar bills y'all you can sign up to our patreon And uh, so I changed it again. This is the last time I'm changing it. I couldn't keep up with it. So any donation gets all the content. Um, But some have things like discounts on merch, which you can find on our website. Um, Some have things like you get to pick an episode or suggest an episode topic. But everyone gets the same three, four, three bonus episodes a month now. So even if you're given a dollar... You get three bonus episodes a month. That's a pretty good fucking deal. That's 33 cents an episode. 
<laughs> and uh, yeah, it, it helps us a lot with things like equipment and research and paying Marvin, our editor. And uh, what else do we spend the money on? Sometimes wine, not going to lie. but Developing it's merch. Developing merch, yes. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh. We have some cool designs in the works, y'all. The odd paywalled research source now and again. Yes. Oh, my gosh. Yes. I I also bought a book for this case coming up so that I'm going to do in a few weeks. So anyway, thank you very much to our people to our people that are already supporting us on Patreon. And if you sound if you're like, hmm, three episodes for one dollar a month. That sounds great. You can find us at patreon.com slash queers for fears podcast. And we're there. <laughs> We've given. Find, I'm just going to double check because we have definitely. <laughs> find the black logo with the skull and violets. And that's us. Because there is another one that one of our friends accidentally supported. That wasn't us. <laughs> that was funny. Sorry. Was really yeah, funny. it is que- patreon.com slash queers for fears podcast. Okay, cool. So hard to keep all these links straight sometimes. I wanted it all to be the same, but like some stuff was taken, so I had to improvise, and now we're just falling apart. Anyway, <laughs> we should just get a link tree. That's the way to go. We do have one in our Instagram bio, so <laughs> you can check that out. Anyway, and I will put the link tree link in our show notes, so that'll be good. Thank you for listening. Stay queer. Stay creepy. Stay safe. Stay safe. Yes. Bye. Bye. Will you be quiet? Yes. That was a lie.